Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. We were in a 50-passenger uh, like tourist bus, and we were coming from the south back towards Jerusalem, and we pulled off on this kind of dirt road, off a highway onto this dirt road. And I'll just be honest, I got a little nervous. Like, what are we doing? Where are we going? I, I didn't realize we were at another stop. We thought we were done. I mean, everybody got off the bus. And we walked up this hill, and when we got up to the top of the hill, what you saw in the video was the landscape that was there. And I've got to tell you, it was, just, it was, it was almost unearthly to see it. That's the, that's the scene that Jesus evokes when he tells the story, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today, looking at this uh, very familiar story, verses 25 through 37. It's a parable that Jesus tells that helps us to understand some spiritual things. Even if you're not very familiar with Scripture, you may be familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. You're going to want your Bible in front of you, whether you have it in a, in a print copy or maybe you have it in a digital form on a tablet or on your phone. Um, you might even want to check out, we, we put our notes on what's called the Bible app if you go out to wherever you get apps for your device. It's from life.church. Um, and it's a really good tool, and you can find the events there and, and search for the notes uh, to this message. We're just gonna jump right in. Let's talk about this, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's unpack a couple of things just about that verse. First, it says he was an expert in the law. Now that's not so much that he was an attorney and that he was an expert in the civil law, but he was an expert in the Jewish religious law because the truth was in that time, the Jewish religious law permeated every part of their society. So he was an expert in the scriptures. He was an expert in spiritual teachings. He was an expert in the law. And it says that he came to test Jesus. Does that sound very friendly to you? He came to test Jesus. Not so much out of curiosity, Probably more a little bit out of conflict. What kind of teacher is this guy, Jesus? Heard about him, seen some things about him. I really kind of want to find out something about him. And maybe even beyond that, he may have come to tempt or to trap Jesus in the things that he said. Let's just leave it at this. He came with less than pure motives. So watch what happens next, verse 26 of Luke chapter 10. What is written in the law, Jesus replied, and how do you read it? Now look at this scripture for a moment. The guy comes and asks Jesus what really was a fairly common question in, in Jewish times. How do I inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be right with God? The guy asks Jesus a question. And what does Jesus do in return? Jesus asks him two questions. This was actually a rhetorical device that was used quite frequently by Jewish scribes and, and rabbis in that time. And realize this, sometimes the best answer to a question is another question. Have you ever seen that? Sometimes the best answer is a question. I like, when somebody asks me a question, I like to just give the answer because then I can prove how smart I am. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you I'm right and you're wrong. Sometimes I just wanna win. Sometimes I just wanna give an answer real quick because it gives me a chance, like if it's a moment of conflict, if someone's kinda of pushing me, I just wanna give an answer real quick because it gives me a chance to shut you up, down. It gives me a chance to shut you down. <laughs> Sorry, shut you down, shut you down. Jesus doesn't do that here. He realizes this, and, and for some of us, this is a good thing to learn. Sometimes the best answer is a question. 
So the guy says, how am I going to find eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you think? What do the scriptures say? Look at verse 27. The expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's some layers to this answer that we sometimes miss just in our casual reading of Scripture. There's a, there's a word that's used kind of in, in academic or theological circles to describe the interpretation of Scripture. It's called hermeneutics. Have you ever heard that word? So hermeneutics means the study of interpreting or understanding what Scripture says. And this expert in the law uses this ancient Jewish hermeneutic here. It was called Gezira Shavah, and here's what it was. Typically, when we interpret scripture, we oftentimes will, will do it based on theology and putting different scriptures together. This was kind of unique. It was based more on language than it was theology. Here's, here's what these ancient Jews believed in this idea of biblical interpretation. That every word in the Hebrew scriptures was inspired by God. And if every word was inspired by God, then in the different places where you saw similarity or connections, even in the language, you could assume that God was, by his spirit, through that language, trying to teach something through that. So they would look not just at theology, but sometimes even at the language to find connections in the language. Now look, as soon as I said the word hermeneutics, some of your eyes glazed over. You're like, Chad, it's a holiday weekend. I don't care about theology. Stick with me for a minute. This is, this is fascinating if you'll track with me. There are three passages in the Old Testament that use this phrase, and you will love. These Hebrew words that we kind of roughly would translate in this way, and you will love. There's three places where you see those. Two of them, this expert in the law uses in his answer. Look at this. The first one that he mentions is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. We read this, and it's a familiar passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The beginning of that verse is this Hebrew words or this phrase, and you will love. And you're familiar with that passage. In the, in the Old Testament, in those times, the Jewish people referred to it as the Shema. It was the beginning of their prayers, and it says this, you must love God. Pretty simple. So he says, how will you find eternal life? The guy says, well, here's what the scriptures say. They say, you must love God, that phrase, and you will love. Then he goes to a second verse that uses that same phrase. There's, there's three verses in the Old Testament. He goes to a second one, and it's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your, or, if you just look at it in a literal Hebrew translation, it would say, and you will love, same thing as Deuteronomy 6, 5, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So he takes those same phrases in Hebrew, brings them together, and says, because they're similar, they go together. So he says, if you want eternal life, you must love God, and you must love your neighbor. You must love God, and you must love your neighbor. Jesus actually quotes those same verses together in Matthew chapter 22. He says that the greatest commandments are these two things, love God, love your neighbor. Have you heard that before? There was this form of interpretation that would do that, and here's what's so interesting about that. Watch this. The second verse he uses helps us to understand the first verse. He says, you must love God, 
And the way that you can practically do that, the way that you can literally live out your love for God is by loving your neighbor as yourself. The second verse interprets the first one. The second one helps us to understand how we can do the first one, and it's this. We express our love for God in a practical way when we love other people. How do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? By loving our neighbor as ourselves. We express our love for God when we practically love other people. We know this to be true. Jesus said this. Do you remember the the story he tells in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats? And it's all about when someone went out and helped someone that was in need. And they asked, well, when did we ever help you? And Matthew 25, 40 says, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He shows us the converse of that as well in verse 45. He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. See, a love for God requires a love for others. If you truly say you love God, and and hang on to this because this is at the very crux of everything we're going to talk about today. A love for God requires a love for others. Think about it for a minute. If, If you say you love someone, you care for someone, you want the best for someone, and then you meet their children and you mistreat their children, do you really love that person? No. Because if you really love someone, then you are going to care for the thing that matters to them. God is our Father. And if we truly love Him, then it will show in the way that we treat His children. Isn't that true? So watch what happens next. Verse 28 of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus has this conversation. How do I get eternal life? The guy says, Jesus says, What do you think? What do the scriptures say? The expert says, Love God, love your neighbor. Verse 28. You have answered correctly. Jesus gives him an A plus and puts a star on his paper. Do this and you will live. See what Jesus says here? Not just, hey, you got the answer right. He says, you got the answer right, now do it. It's not enough to just know something. You need to live it out as well. The right answer without a real response is meaningless. You can know all kinds of things. You can say all kinds of things, but if you don't do those things, if you don't live out those things, it really doesn't help you or benefit you. It really doesn't mean anything. The right answer without a real response, without a physical response of some way, is meaningless. So Jesus says to him, A plus, now do it. If this is what you think, and you got it right, then you need to live it out. Okay, do this for me. We've kind of been moving through this story pretty quick. Just sit back for a minute. Just take a deep breath. Everybody just breathe in, breathe in. Do it for me, breathe in. Now just breathe out. Okay, now offer the person next to you a tic-tac because coming this way, (laughs) that was rough. That was rough. He highlights here for us a word that we often misunderstand. Neighbor. When I think of neighbor, I think of someone who lives in proximity to me, someone who is close to me. But Jesus is going to change that. Probably when you think of neighbor, you've had all kinds of different experiences. I've had some good neighbors. I've had some neighbors that weren't so good. I remember when we lived in an apartment one time, we had a neighbor above us who loved to make all kinds of noise as soon as our baby went to sleep. Do you know what I'm talking about? That neighbor? We had a neighbor once. We lived in in a duplex 
And do you guys remember cordless phones? Remember cordless phones? My phone, for whatever reason, would sometimes get on the same, like, wavelength as his phone, and I remember one time picking up the phone, and I was going to make a phone call, and when I picked it up, um, I could hear his conversation, and I listened to it for a while. I'm sure I was praying for him, but I was listening to his conversation, you know, for a while until I realized I'm pretty sure the dude was doing something illegal, right? I hung up real quick. I've had those kinds of neighbors. What, what do you think of when you think about neighbor? Jesus is going to take that, and he's going to turn the definition completely around, Okay, so watch our story. Expert shows up trying to test Jesus. How do I get eternal life? Jesus, very wisely, to kind of sense his heart, says, what do you think? What do the scriptures say? Basically saying, I'm not falling in your trap. What do you think? The guy says, well, you gotta love God and you gotta love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, A plus. Now go and do it. The conversation could end there, but watch the turn it takes. Look at verse 29. Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. That sounds dangerous, doesn't it? He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Tells you a little something about him when it says that he wants to justify himself. It lets us know kind of all over again that his motives are less than pure here. It tells us some things about his heart. He wasn't asking this question because he was really all that interested. Because that word neighbor, if you really looked at the Jewish teaching of that time, here's how you would define it. They would define neighbor as anyone who was like them, the fellow Israelites. If this someone is related to us in our nationality, if they're like us, then we are required to love them. That was his thought process. They kind of knew what was going on here. But he asked this question to justify himself, which means that, that his intentions here were a little less than pure. And when I was reading this and studying for today, I had this thought come to my mind. It was this word for this guy. I think it may be a biblical theological term. I wanted to refer to this guy as a weasel. Does that make sense? He's just kind of weaselly, not, not like that slender mammal. Here, here's a definition for a weasel. A deceitful or treacherous person who tries to achieve something by use of cunning or deceit. Can you think of a weasel right now? Do you know anybody? I found this. This was quite a few years ago. But I was sitting in my office one day, and I had this young couple who was in there, and we were doing premarital counseling, and I knew him. I'd known him for years. He had, he had been a part of the kids' ministry here at Calvary. I was just meeting her for the first time. So he's marrying her. We're having this conversation. And if I could have stepped back, I watched myself, because I was really nice and complimentary and kind to him. I kept asking her all these pointed questions. I just kept like drilling her and looking at her and furrowing my brow. And all of a sudden, I realized I was trying to figure this out. Was she a weasel or not? What kind of person was she? And I found that I do this all the time, premarital counseling. It doesn't matter, guy, girl. If I know, in fact, it's worse if it's, if it's a guy, that I, I know the young lady. She grew up in kids' ministry here at Calvary, whatever. But I don't know this guy. I naturally assume you're a weasel until proven innocent. <laughs> I call it the weasel test. Just kind of watch. What kind of weasel are you? This guy in this story, he's a weasel. Some of you may say to me, Chad, I aspire to be a weasel. How can I be a weasel? Learn it from this guy. Here's what I want to give you real quick. Four ways of a weasel. Four ways of a weasel. You want to be a weasel, be like this guy. If you don't want to be a weasel, just don't do these things, okay? Here's the first one. We see it from this guy. Number one, focus on the perception of others. If you're a weasel, you know what's most important to you? What other people think about you. 
Not so much what's inside of you, but what do they think about me? How, how do they respond to me? A lot of what you say will be done to justify yourself, to kind of prove that you're, that you're right or you're good in this thing. A weasel will focus on the perception of others. Here's, here's the second thing you do if you're a weasel. You avoid any discomfort. A weasel will avoid any discomfort. Do you think he asked the question, who is my neighbor, so he could find that neighbor right away and go out and help him? Absolutely not. He was trying to see where the fence lines were. I want to know what I do not have to do. I want to know what lines I do not have to cross. I want to avoid any discomfort, which leads to the third thing. A weasel will limit personal responsibility. Have you ever seen this? If I'm a weasel and I can pass on to you what I don't want to do and I'll make it your issue, that's very weaselly of me. This guy didn't care who his neighbor was. He just wanted to know who he didn't have to help. Which leads us to kind of this fourth thing. And this is really at the, at the heart of what Jesus is trying to tell in this story we're about to read. Number four, the weasel will define the outsider. The weaser, the weaser, the weaser wants to know <laughs> where they can get some asthma medication. But the weasel wants to know, <laughs> the weasel wants to know this. That was pretty, that's pretty funny, actually. That's pretty funny. The weasel wants to know this. Who's on the inside? Who's on the outside? Who do I have to care about? Who do I not have to care about? Where, where are the lines? I want to draw a circle. Who's inside? Who's outside? That's what the weasel wants to do. What's that look like? Well, we naturally see it all the time if you go to a sporting event, especially if you go to a college or a professional football, baseball, basketball game. You can tell right away who's on the inside, who's on the outside, who's home, who's away. It's by the gear they're wearing, right? That says something. And you can even, I don't know if you've noticed, but like when you're walking in to the arena, there's like, there's like this tension between what team you're representing and folks from the other team. And if you think it's tense going in, it's even worse coming out. Isn't that true? Because at that point, you know very clearly who's the winner, who's the loser. I have been a Pittsburgh Steelers fan just about my whole life. Praise God. Hallelujah, brother. I don't know about you, but I felt that. I felt that. Pastor Keith, many of you know Pastor Keith Kurtz, our associate pastor. He is a diehard Browns fan his whole life. No, don't start that. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Years ago, several years ago, Pastor Keith and I went to a Thursday night game in Cleveland where the Steelers played the Browns. The Steelers had been on a roll of teaching the Browns how to play football until that night. Many of you probably glowingly remember that. It was 11 degrees in Cleveland. That meant the wind chill was minus 11. What was really miserable was that the Browns schooled the Steelers that night. And I'll never forget, the game was over, and the Browns, pretty sure that was the Super Bowl, were, were pretty excited as they were walking out. Pastor Keith looked at me, and he said to me, cover up your gear, keep your head down, and follow me. <laughs> he didn't want to be associated with me. And he wanted to get his boss out of there safe and sound. Exact quote. Why? Because in those moments, you know what we define? Who's on the inside, who's on the outside? It's kind of trivial when it comes to sports. But we do it all the time in life. It's the way of a weasel. This is what Jesus is trying to point out here. And understand this. The guy asks the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus does the weirdest thing. He doesn't ask another question. He doesn't quote scripture. He tells him, a story, theological question. The Messiah goes right to story time. 
Do you know why? Because Jesus was a genius. He knew exactly what he was doing here. Watch what happens next. Verse 30, Luke chapter 10. In reply to the question, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Can you picture the expert in the law here? He's like, what? I asked you a question. This isn't the library. I asked you a question. I'm not here for story time. But Jesus just launches into this parable that we know. Jerusalem sits about 2,200 feet above sea level. Jericho, 17 miles away, is 800 feet below sea level. It's a pretty crazy journey. That road that you saw in that video can still be walked today. It takes about seven hours. It was dangerous then because it was rugged terrain and bandits would hide out along the way. It's still a dangerous road to walk today for that very same reason. And so this guy is walking this from Jerusalem to Jericho. He falls into the hands of robbers, scripture says, who beat him and leave him on the side of the road half dead. That's actually a technical term in Jewish times. And it's incredibly important to this story. They leave him there half dead. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Do you get this? A priest. Who's a priest? A representative for God is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's walking down the road. He looks ahead. He sees this dude who's been beat up by the robbers. He's laying there half dead, and do you see what he does? He goes over to the other side. He's like, I don't want anything to do with that. He's just kind of walking away. He passes by. It's really an interesting thing to think about. But there he is, and he finds this person in need, and he crosses over to the other side. And I think it tells us some things about human nature, because as much as we can fault the priest for doing it, there's times when you and I do the same thing. And we have to ask ourselves why. Let me just highlight real quick four reasons we do not stop and help. Let me give you four reasons why we do not stop and help. Here's the first one. Because it's easier for us to keep going we see someone in need and we already have some momentum, it's tough to slow down when you have momentum, isn't it? That's why so many of you think the yellow light means go fast. (laughs) Because it's easier for me to just keep going. I don't want to stop and help. Why? Well, the, the second reason helps us. Number two, because we're too busy to stop. I'm important. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. There's folks who are counting on me. I'm probably already late. I don't have time to stop. I'm too busy to stop. This goes to the third thing. Here's a third reason why I think we don't stop, because we're skeptical of the one in need. We kind of get skeptical. Do you think they really need help, or are they a fraud? Do you think they really need anything from me, or are they just, is this this just kind of their front? Is this just their act? Or this could be a trick. It could be a trap. I read about this on Facebook. (laughs) This happens sometimes. So we get skeptical of that. Now the reality is this. I want you to use wisdom. Be careful. Use common sense. There's times when it's just not wise for you to just stop somebody or help somebody. Does that make sense? Like be wise. Because the truth is, the point of this story is not what you do when you're driving 475. The point of this story is what's going on in your heart. The person on the side of the road is just an analogy for the people that you naturally encounter every day in your life? Who's in need in your life? Who who needs you to serve them in our community? 
Who in your workplace is, is longing for someone to reach into their life? Who in your family really needs you? See, I'm so amazed at how many times I encounter people outside the church and inside the church who are just unwilling to go the extra mile. They're unwilling to reach out and just show some simple concern for someone else. Which leads us to the last thing. Actually, probably the most important thing in, in, this, in this part of the story. Number four, the reason we don't stop and help is because our personal values override the value of another person. That we allow our personal values to override the value of another person. Here's, here's what's so significant in this story. You've got a priest. He's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. The priest sees this guy who's half dead. He's not full dead yet. He's just half dead, right? Here's his fear. If he helps half dead guy, and there's a 50-50 chance that he's going to be all dead pretty soon, right? If he helps 50-50 dead guy and dead guy becomes dead guy, then that's on his hands. In fact, for the Jewish priest, that means he would be ritually impure, which would be a huge inconvenience. He's going to have to offer sacrifice. It's going to mean he's not going to be able to go to the temple for a while. It's going to affect his whole life. It's going to wreck his day. It's going to throw off his momentum. It's not what he wants. So look, if I touch this guy, he will make me impure. And if I'm impure, that infringes on my desires and my values. So it's better for me to just cross over to the other side than risk the fact that I may make half dead guy, all dead guy, and he messes up my day. That's, that's, the, that's the point behind this parable. Because they were so focused on ritual purity, on their own values, that they failed to see the value in the life of another person. And it points this out to us. There's a tension in life between our personal desire and the value of the life of another person who's been created in the image of God. If we had time, we could unpack this in so many different ways. But there's this tension that's there. Can I, can I be honest? This, teaching this story on this day was really a, a pretty convenient thing because it lines right up with the fact that our serve week is this week. And part of my intention is that God will allow his word to challenge you to consider being a part of an opportunity that our church has this week to literally step away from our own desires or priorities and make the priority of reaching our community one that we corporately do together. It's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. But this story is about so much more than just you signing up to love the 419. This story is about our hearts. Some of us have become so self-absorbed that we've stopped caring about other people. We're in such a hurry to get home and close our garage door that we fail to realize that the person across the street has a need that God might want to meet spiritually, physically, emotionally, I don't know what it is, but he might want to meet that through you. Others of us, it's, it's hard for us to change the way we think about those who are different from us. They're different by age or nationality, their nation of origin or their appearance or their race. Sometimes I just need to look in the mirror and go, Chad, would you stop being a weasel? That's the point of this story. You see it reinforced again. There's a priest that goes by. Look at verse 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. You know, it's interesting about the Levite. I'm sure he was in a hurry. 
See, a Levite wasn't a priest as, as far as offering the sacrifices, but a Levite would be in charge of the, kind of the maintenance and the operation and the services of the temple. This guy was probably in a hurry. He probably had something to do. He was moving right along, and he said, you know, I'd, hel- I'd, I'd help you. I'd stop and help you, but I got, I got my calling. God's called me to be a Levite. And here's the truth, folks. We've misunderstood our calling if it becomes an excuse for comfort. If we try to rationalize why we don't help those that God sends our way in need, we've probably missed our calling. Interesting story. Imagine that you're the expert in the law hearing this for the first time. Jesus has just kind of thrown a curveball with the priest, now the Levite, and he's hearing this and trying to figure out where's he going with this story. There was a Sunday school teacher who was teaching some kindergarten students and was teaching this story And she got to this point in the story, and she said, now, kids, if you were walking down the road and you saw someone on the side of the road who was beaten and bleeding, what would you do? And a little girl threw her hand up in the air and yelled, I'd throw up. (laughs) Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, we don't get how packed that is right there. Do you know what a Samaritan meant to the Jewish people, the Samaritans, this other group of people, the Samaritans, they considered them half-breeds who had perverted the Jewish religion. They had no regard for each other. There was a constant attitude of animosity between them. It would be as if I told the story in this way. One day, a buckeye fell into the hands of robbers, and a wolverine came by. That's the kind of, do you get it? Do you get the animosity? Magnify that. That's the tension that's here. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. That's that's the first we've seen this. Pity? Compassion? Do you remember we talked earlier that there were, we only looked at two of them. How many verses did we say in the Old Testament started with, and you will love? How many did we talk about? Three. Jesus does something genius here. Let me show you what the third one is. You've got love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got love your neighbor as yourself. There's a third time where the same phrase is used. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. It says this, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them, or if you look at it in the Hebrew, it says, and you will love, love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt I am the Lord your God. Do you see what Jesus did here? He flips the script on this dude. He says, you know what? You mentioned two. Let me show you the third. It's in my story. You know that person who's not like you? You know the person who couldn't be any more different than you are? You're supposed to love that person too. He said Samaritan. That caught him completely off guard. And it makes a point that this dude and that we should never forget. Jesus does not allow us to define who we can and cannot love. He tells us to love our enemies. There's no circle, there's no line. He tells us that we are to love everyone. Now look, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Because in our lives and in our nations, we have a place for wisdom and for processes, and for defending ourselves, and there is a place where we need to stand for biblical values and standards, but we're called to love the foreigner. We're called to love the person who's different from us. 
We're literally called to love the one who's out to get us. And it gets tricky because there's so many hot button items in our culture today. Let me name a few. Immigration, race, choices that people make with regards to the issues of sexuality and morality, and we quickly let those become defining issues. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a place for defending ourselves and for processes and for wisdom and for biblical standards. My question to you isn't about that. My question to you is about the state of your heart. Where's your heart at? Are you harboring hatred? Or have you allowed the love that God has given to you to show through you in loving others? Have you allowed God's love to define your response to others, even those radically different from yourself? Listen to what the Samaritan did, verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Did the Samaritan take the easy way out? No, man, this whole thing cost him something. We were talking about this in, in our, one of our staff meetings this week, and one of our staff members, Joel, said, you know, if this, if this were to happen today, many of us, if we saw the guy on the side of the road, first thing we'd do before we even did anything else, we'd pull our phone out and we'd check in on Facebook. Side of the road with half-dead guy, right? <laughs> then we'd take some money out, we'd put it conspicuously on his chest, then we'd pull our phone out and take a selfie. <laughs> hashtag half-dead, hashtag helping, right? <laughs> That's not this guy's response. It's not what he does. Understand this. Compassion always costs. Compassion will always cost you something. That's that's why as a church, we've made it a priority. This is our third year with Serve Week. A week where we don't just talk about it, but where we do it. Where we physically and literally love our area. We love the 419. I'm going to ask you just to take a minute. Would you turn your attention to the screens? I want to give you a picture of what all of this means. If your life makes beautiful music, people will listen to what your lyrics have to say. And uh, this last week, as a church, we made some pretty beautiful music. We had the opportunity to have a tremendous impact on our community, and you did it. I actually had one little kid ask me, um, uh, are you rich? (laughs) I said, well, if I'm rich, why would I be living in the same neighborhood that you live in? I think that what they're seeing is that that our family is different because what Jesus has done in our family. And so our hope is that they can see that Jesus can do that in their family. kind of like Samaria in the New Testament, you know, going to all the world, first Jerusalem, then Samaria, and then the ends of the world, you know. It's that place that's uh, close enough to you that you can see things if you really would like to see things, but it's still far enough away that you can avoid if you want to. 
And uh, you know, it's very easy sometimes, I think, to have compassion for things that are further than things that are so close. Even though, you know, it may be only, you know, 15 minutes from your house, that there's children and families that have grown up in generational poverty and they really have not seen anything else. It, or they don't know any different way of living. And so when our mission statement is hope to others, to be that hope, to be that, that light, because Jesus Christ is the hope that lives in us. You know, we believe bringing the neighbor back into the neighborhood, you know, and you're not just the hood, we're the neighborhood. And uh, demonstrating that, that Jesus can change their life just like he changed our life, you know, and just like he changed so many people's lives that's in our um, community that's in our church. There's so many families that are in our church that would not be with her at today if it wasn't for what, what Christ has done. They've been rescued from, from addictions and from drugs and from um, po poverty, and they're living now in a way that shows that He did it for me, He can do it for you. Church is not just these four walls, and a lot of us know that, but it's, sometimes it's hard to get in our bubble, we're in our church groove, but when you get out into the community, you so quickly see how the church is all around Toledo, and it's so amazing to be with pastors and with lay people who work every single day in these communities that are, it's not easy work. The reason we do Serve Week is because we believe that if Christ has done something in us, then we have the opportunity to give back, to serve, and to love others. We love because He first loved us. It's works that's produced by the faith that we have inside. Every day we have to make a choice to serve others around us. Uh, the Good Samaritan, he could have easily chosen to take a step to the side and walk around like everybody else did. But he made a choice to stop that day and make a difference in that guy's life. And sometimes our calendars, they fill up really quickly with things we have to do, with things um, we get to do, good things. But I want to challenge you as we walk into Serve Week to take a minute to look at your calendar. Step back and see what change can you make to make a difference in someone else's life. Maybe we can put something on pause, or maybe the friend you're supposed to hang out with, you can bring them with you. Um, but this is our chance to make a difference in people's lives right here in our own community. And I, don't just do it to check something off your list, but do it because you can make a difference in someone else's life, and then that's going to make a difference in your life. So this week as you get ready to serve, I want to encourage you to stop by our website. You can go to lovethe419.org to register for a time. Um, or you can come out to the atrium. We'd love to help you. We have a handout for you. So if you have signed up already or if you're planning on sign up, please grab one of these. It has all the different information of the projects that we'll be doing. And then some of you always don't know where we're going. So I gave you a map this time, huh? You like that? All right. So you can grab a map. We are all starting at Vision Ministries every day at all of our different serve slots. So it's easy for us all to be together um, and to go out and do our different projects. And so please come down and hang out with us on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then on Wednesday, the 6th this week, at 7 o'clock, we'll have our kickoff service. So come down, celebrate with us. We have a big pizza party afterwards. We'd love to have you all here. Awesome, awesome. And then as well, next Sunday, we'll be taking a special offering. And we invite you just to pray and ask God what he might have you to do to participate in that. But that offering that we'll take next week will be the resources that will help us in uh, supplying the needs or the resources to meet the needs in our community this week. So Leah, thanks for your leadership. We're excited. Would you show your appreciation and support to Leah this morning? Should we talk about how the story ends? All right, okay, we can just go, I suppose. But uh, verse 36, which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. 
That, that's from the New International Version. I think in, in their translation, they missed something that's in the, in the context of, of the Hebrew there. It, it's actually picked up in the English Standard Version. Listen to what it says here. Which of these three do you think proved, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Who proved it? Who showed it? See, oftentimes there's a disconnect between what I say and what I do. And the reality is that life in Jesus requires love for others. If you, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, then at some point, and the Bible says this over and over and over again, then at some point that's shown in love for others. And remember, this, this isn't just about what you do for the person on the side of the road. It's the state of your heart day in and day out. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, remember Jesus' question, who, who was the neighbor? He says, the one who had mercy on him. It's funny, he had a hard time even saying Samaritan, didn't he? The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here's the reality of this story. We do not love others because of who they are or what they have done. See, I'm prone to do that. I want to quantify. I want you to earn my love. We love others because they're created in the image of God. That's, that's why. Because they matter to God. I think it's interesting that we look at this passage of Scripture and, and this truth from Scripture, not just on the weekend before serve week, but it's also Independence Day weekend. We kind of, as a nation, have our own sacred documents, don't we? Our, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. Anybody heard of the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among there are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This week, I've had this passage of Scripture in my mind. And it's kind of haunted me because it's caused me to realize how many times I just, I just say things without realizing the impact that those words can have on other people. How many times I see somebody and I think to myself, whether it's somebody I know or somebody I don't know, I think I'll dodge that person because they might slow me down or inconvenience me. I think about the perception that I have of others based on first impressions or media, their stereotypes, my biases, my fear. I've realized what God can do in my life if I'll just stop long enough to let him care through me. There's three passages in the Old Testament that have this phrase, and you will love. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor your neighbor may actually be the person that you least expect. And so, Father, thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, this is one of those messages that as we go through the week, we, we have to continue to be prodded and challenged and kind of stirred by you. So, Lord, would you help us to see the people around us not based on our own values, but on the fact that they have value because they're, they're created in your image. They're your child. 
Lord, some of us, even now, your spirit's speaking to us about, about things in our lives that, that have hindered us from loving others. Lord, would you help us to be the neighbor and show love to those who you bring into our world? Lord, we ask that you'd send us with your special favor, your wonderful peace, in Jesus' name.